Uthanam Maitra Karuna Evasa Niramamo Nirahankara Samadhuka Sukaksami One who is not envious, but who is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor, who is free from false ego and equal both in happiness and distress, who is always satisfied and engaged in devotional service with determination, and whose mind and intelligence are in agreement with me, he is very dear to me. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Coming again to the point of pure devotional service, the Lord is describing the transcendental qualifications of a pure devotee in these verses. A pure devotee is never disturbed in any circumstances, nor is he envious of anyone, nor does a devotee, does a devotee become his enemy's enemy. He thinks that one is acting as his enemy due to his own past misdeeds. Thus, it is better to suffer than to protest. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, it is stated, Whenever a devotee is in distress or has fallen into difficulty, he thinks that it is the Lord's mercy upon him. He thinks, thanks to my past misdeeds, I should suffer far, far greater than I am suffering now. So it is by the mercy of the Supreme Lord that I am not getting all the punishment that I am due. I am just getting a little by the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, he is always calm, quiet, and patient despite many distressful conditions. A devotee is also always kind to everyone, even to his enemy. Nirmama means that a devotee does not attach much importance to the peace and trouble pertaining to the body because he knows perfectly well that he is not the material body. He does not identify with the body. Therefore, he is freed from the conception of false ego and is equiposed both in happiness and distress. He is tolerant and he is satisfied with whatever comes by the grace of the Supreme Lord. He does not endeavor much to achieve something with great difficulty. Therefore, he is always joyful. He is a completely perfect mystic because he is fixed in the instructions received from the spiritual master. And because his senses are controlled, he is determined. He is not swayed by false argument because no one can lead him from the fixed determination of devotional service. He is fully conscious that Krishna is the eternal Lord, so no one can disturb him. All his qualifications enable him to depend entirely on the Supreme Lord. Such a standard of devotional service is undoubtedly very rare. But a devotee becomes situated in that stage by following the regulative principles of devotional service. 
Furthermore, the Lord says that such a devotee is very dear to him. For the Lord is always pleased with all his activities in full Krishna consciousness. One who is not envious, but who is kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor, who is free from false ego and equal both in happiness and distress, who is always satisfied and engaged in devotional service with the determination, and whose mind and intelligence are in agreement with me, he is very dear to me. A devotee's life is very simple. In this world, people imprison themselves with so many complexities within their life. To the extent we have independent desires, apart from our natural constitutional position, to simply serve Krishna. To that extent, our life becomes incredibly complicated. Because this material creation has been designed by the Supreme Lord in such a way that it is like a prison. And the bars of this prison are our own desires to enjoy within it. Prahlad Maharaj gave a very simple formula. If you want to be happy in this world, it's the simplest thing in life. Simply stop trying to be happy in this world. Then you're happy. As long as you're trying to be happy, you will suffer. And the extent you're trying to be happy, you will suffer. And according to how many varieties of ways you are seeking happiness, to that degree, your life will be an impossible complication. One problem will lead to another problem, to another problem, to another problem, and every solution to one problem leads to ten more problems. And the solution to those ten problems will lead to a thousand more problems. Everything is very nicely symbolized by nature. We could learn so many lessons. In the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam, there was one great sage. He explained he had many, many gurus. And his various gurus were just what God has shown him through nature. The earth, the mountain, the pigeon, the insects, the sky, the moon, the sun. Have you ever seen the way a spider catches a fly? When the fly finds himself entrapped within the web of the spider, this web is very delicate. It's so delicate, you can hardly see it. When the fly is looking for his sense gratification, he ends up in this web it's such fine, fine fibers that he doesn't even perceive. And it looks very easy to get out of. But 
The more you try to get out, the more you become entangled. To the extent the fly is trying to get out, to that extent the fly becomes very much trapped. And the most enthusiastic fly is the one that's struggling, fighting, squirming. And within minutes, you can't even see him. You just see a little white ball just moving around. He's practically smothered himself. So in this world, people who are very enthusiastic for happiness completely entangle themselves in problems. It is a fact. Prahlad says, if you want to be happy, stop trying to be happy. That this is a world where people are simply trying to chew what they have already chewed, birth after birth after birth. And the more you try to solve the problems of life on the basis of your material calculations and endeavors, you may solve one problem, but yes, the solution will cause hundreds more problems. And we see this in modern society. So what is the solution to the problems? It is very simple. It is very simple. It is described here by Sri Krishna. that we simply have to accept the position that I am the servant. That I am meant for Krishna's enjoyment. That the goal of life is to be dear to Krishna. There's no other goal. How simple. My only aspiration is to be dear to Krishna. And Krishna in this verse is explaining how to be dear to him. The first and most important qualification, Krishna explains, one should not be envious, but one should be a friend to all living entities. A devotee of the Lord has no enemy. Why? because he has conquered the only enemy, which is the mind. Prahlad Maharaj, he was taught by his school teachers how to be a good businessman, how to be a good politician, how, according to our modern education, things are taught. He was taught that way, how to get ahead in this world how to compete, how to be victorious and conquer. Diplomacy means how to defeat your enemies and how to win over friends. Prahlad told his teachers, I am not interested in any of these things. His father asked, what have you learned in school? He said, if you want to know, the best thing I've learned was not in my school. My school is teaching me all nonsense. This is your friend, this is your enemy. I am not this body. This is an education for envious people. 
Krishna is in the heart of every living being. The only enemy is our own mind that refuses to accept the presence of God within the heart of every living being. When we become attached to something that gives us some temporary pleasure, when someone stands between us and that, they become our enemy. Otherwise, there are no enemies. If you have no desire, then no one could stand between you and what you want. If your only desire is to serve the Lord, Sri Krishna, then you understand that everyone is helping you serve the Lord. Even someone who is trying to destroy you, he is trying to help you, whether he knows it or not, to serve Lord in a great state of helplessness. Even someone who is trying to, to defeat your mission and your guru's mission, you should understand, ah, this is wonderful in the sense that the Lord, through this person, the Lord is giving me the opportunity to fight for him. He's not standing between me and my service. He's giving me service. Every situation is an opportunity to serve. Every situation is a welcome opportunity to serve. If your only desire is to serve. But if you have your pre preconceived desire of what you want, then when there is some confrontation, that person becomes our enemy. Arjuna tried to understand how inconceivable this is to the mortal mind. Arjuna was told to fight. The Bhagavad Gita is to convince Arjuna to fight a war, to become ferociously angry and kill them. And before Krishna sends him into that battlefield for this fight, Minutes before, he's teaching him that you should not see anyone as your enemy. You should be a friend to all living entities. Now, for an ordinary person, this would seem very contradictory. This philosophy would seem to be convincing him not to fight. Do not be envious. Do not be anger. Conquer over lust. Conquer over sense of proprietorship. Conquer over the sense of victory or defeat. You must love everyone and see everyone as your friend and be their well-wisher. Do you understand this? Now go in that battlefield and kill them all. This is Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavan Sri Krishna Ki! It's not for sentimental people. It's for people who really want to know the truth. Krishna is teaching us that in this world you must fight. Friend and enemy only comes when you have to fight for your sense gratification. Everyone is fighting. Who does not fight in this world? It's a hard struggle for existence. It is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And we're not talking about dog-dogs, we're talking about human dogs. 
The dog dogs, they're not causing any disturbance. Ruff, 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 a little noise as we put some earplugs is no problem. But the human dogs, very difficult to withstand them. So Bhagavad Gita is teaching this philosophy that in this world we must fight. But why do we fight? How do we? First we must learn how to defeat the only enemy we have. That is our own mind. Krishna says, for one who has controlled the mind, the mind is the best of friends. But the, the person who has failed to control the mind, his mind is his only enemy. The mind that is attached to the senses and their objects. The mind that is attached to enjoying independent of God. The mind that has any other aspiration other than being dear to Krishna. That mind is your enemy. Never trust your enemy. He's never your well-wisher. It is described in the Bhagavatam that just as a hunter who captures a dangerous animal, he is very vigilant and careful to watch over him. Because he knows if he is inattentive, either that animal will escape or that animal will turn against him and kill him. So similarly, one who is on the path of yoga must very, very carefully and conscientiously observe the mind. Because if we are inattentive, Prabhupada said that, that Spiritual life, Krishna consciousness, is like a razor's edge. If you are shaving with a sharp razor, if there is inattention, there will be blood. If we are not attentive to watch the mind very carefully, to carefully control our mind and senses, that at any moment, our very mind will turn against us and undo everything we have done. And when the mind is controlled, Krishna says, then the super-soul is already reached. Vidya-vanaya-sampane-brahmani-gavihastini-sunichai-vishwapakecha-pandita-samadarshana Krishna says in Gita, for one who has a controlled mind, such a saintly person, he sees all living beings equal. He sees every living being as part of his all-loving object of affection, God, Sri Krishna. And therefore, he is always peaceful, he is always joyful. One of the greatest, greatest illusions created by the mind is the pride that we expect and we deserve what we want. If you can become humble, you will be peaceful. But what does humility mean? There are many levels in which we can describe humility. One is Dandavat Swamiji, 
I'm surrendered to you. Or just going and touching people's feet and putting dust on your head. That is one idea of humility. But real humility is something very deep. And it must be very seriously contemplated upon. If someone is humble, that person is grateful for whatever he gets. Humility means I deserve nothing. I deserve the worst. And whatever I get is better than what I deserve. If you think you deserve something, is that humble? I'm so great, I deserve this. Why am I getting that? If you expect something, is that humility? Humility means to expect nothing, and I, don't, I do not deserve anything. I'm nothing. And therefore, if good comes, my God, with folded palms, we think, Krishna, you are so kind, you are so merciful. You are such a loving father. I deserve the worst of hell, and you're giving me this nice arrangement. You're giving me this nice family. You're giving me this nice home. You're giving me this nice dhoti. <laughs> Whatever you've given me, I do not deserve it. I should be naked in the streets. But you've given me a nice dhoti. Brahmacharis don't have much to thank Krishna for, but they have much. A brahmachari will thank Krishna more for his dhoti than an ordinary people person, than a king will thank Krishna for his whole kingdom. The king will think, I have this kingdom, but I want the next kingdom over too. I deserve it. Why not? I'm better than him. To be grateful for whatever good Krishna gives us. And whatever suffering and pain, whatever opposition comes in our life. If we're humble, we will be grateful. With tears in our heart, we will thank Krishna. You are so kind. I deserve so much worse. You're giving this to me because you love me so much. This is just what I require for my purification. Now my question is, Analyze, take an inventory of your own mind. How much humility is actually there? The egoistic person, whatever he gets, he thinks, I deserve more. The egoistic person always thinks, I deserve better. But the humble person sees everything as the causeless mercy of the Lord. And do you want to know a secret? If you have this disposition of life, you will be joyful, peaceful, and full of bliss 24 hours a day. Because happiness is not what we get. Happiness is all a disposition of the heart. If you are grateful to Krishna, and you are reciprocating with loving feelings toward Krishna, 
in every circumstance in life, he will never be disturbed. That is humility. And according to the Bhagavats, this is the one qualification which makes one eligible for joy and peace in the state of liberation. That we expect nothing, that we deserve nothing. And therefore, with a gracious heart, Krishna, we thank him for everything that comes. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his Shikshastakam, he prayed, My Lord, if you want, you can embrace me. If you want, you can make me broken-hearted by not being present before me. If you want, you can trample upon me. I am your servant. You have every right to deal with me in any way you please. Bhakti Vinod Thakur sings. Marobira Kobi Jo Ichato Prati my Lord, if you want to kill me, please kill me! My Lord, if you want to protect me, as you like, protect me. You have every right to deal with me any way you please. For you are the master and I am the servant. Not a blade of grass, my Lord, can move without your sanction. Therefore, whatever comes into my life, Mahatmanasthumam Bharata Daivim Prakriti Mashrita Bhajantyananya Manasho Gyatva Bhutetim Abhyayam It is your gift. It is your precious kindness upon me. One who has this disposition is a Mahatma. Such a person is always under the divine energy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And we have this faith. Such a devotee will never give up. Krishna tells Arjuna, do not be attached to lethargy. Do not give up. Giving up means we are attached to the fruits of action. It means we have not understood the real essence of humility. Sometimes there is great opposition. Sometimes in the service of Guru Dev, we have to work very hard and there is no results. But understand that no results is also a result. It is what Krishna is giving you. It's perfect and complete. Srila Prabhupada, our Guru Maharaj, 
when he was about 50 years old, he went to Jhansi. And there he tried to start a temple. He tried to start a society for sincere devotees of the Lord to propagate Sanatan Dharma in its purest sense. And he went out collecting funds, preaching to persons, signing up members. He got a building. He arranged it so nice, he put so much effort. He was actually establishing true Sanatan Dharma, Prema Bhakti. He was distributing to the world and he worked so hard for one full year. And then a particular organization came and said, we want this building for ourselves and kicked him out. When they kicked him out, he had no money, he, had no, he didn't even have a place to go. He went to Vrindavan to thank Krishna for his mercy. Thank you, Krishna, very much for your mercy. He tried, he tried to fight to keep what was belonging to Krishna. But ultimately, it is in Krishna's hands. Success, victory, we must try for victory for Krishna. But we are not attached to the result, we are only attached to being dear to Krishna by our service. Krishna has a plan. Huh? You see, what is Krishna's plan? To the material eyes, Prabhupada failed. Why did Krishna do that to him? He had no other motivation than devotional service. He gave up everything just to start this center and everything collapsed and after one year he had zero nothing material to show for it. Prabhupada was not discouraged in the slightest. He was encouraged. He took this as a signal from Krishna that something great is about to happen. Krishna, whatever you want is perfect. Twenty years later, he established the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, where he started over 120 centers all over the world and attracted tens and thousands of people. Now, do you know something? If he would have been successful in Jansi, he may have never left Jansi. Therefore, when Prabhupada was on the Jaladuta, after everything was taken away from him, he didn't even have more than eight US dollars and he was entering into the United States of America. And he was praying to Krishna, Krishna, I am a puppet in your hands. However way you want to make me dance, make me dance. Whatever you give me, whatever you do not give me is perfect. But my determination is simply to please you and to serve you without expecting anything in return except your love, your mercy, your kindness. To the degree you expect something material in return, to that degree you will suffer. To the degree you simply want to please the Lord, you simply want to become dear to the Lord, to that degree you will be joyful.
you will be transcendental to the pleasures and pains, the dualities of material existence. We read in the Srimad Bhagavatam so many wonderful stories in this regard of how the pure devotees, their only expectation is to serve the Lord. We find the story of Dhruva Maharaj. You know, Dhruva Maharaj, his brother, he was killed by the Yakshas. Dhruva Maharaj became very angry, but his anger was not selfish. He was the king. As the king, it was his duty to uphold justice. Not for his own sake, but for God's sake. So he went and declared war on the city of the Yakshas. And a great, great battle was raged. And the Yakshas were mystic yogis. They had so many tricks. They could perform so many miracles. And it appeared to everyone that Dhruva was completely devastated. There was tidal waves coming from the sky ready to drown him. There was mountains, huge mountains falling from the air ready to crush him. There were hundreds and millions of sharpened spears and arrows and tridents flying at him ready to pierce him. There was raging, raging wild fire reaching to the heavens ready to burn him. There were mad, angry, ferocious, wild animals like tigers, lions, leopards, cobras ready to devour him. And all this was taking place simultaneously. This was the scenario. And Dhruva was standing alone. And everyone around, the demigods and so forth, they were thinking, he's finished. And Dhruva was, himself was bewildered. He was thinking, my, how, how will I ever come out of this one? But as the humble devotee of Sri Krishna, he was simply praying into in his heart, Krishna, how can I best serve you? How can I best serve you now? Krishna's words always come through the sadhus. The sadhus were along the sidelines watching. They told Dhruva, don't be in distress, just remember Krishna. As soon as you remember Krishna, as soon as you chant his name, all these illusions cannot remain. So Dhruva Maharaj, simply by chanting the holy name of the Lord and remembering the divine qualities of the Lord, immediately all this hallucination, hallucination disappeared. You see, the most hopeless condition of life is the threshold to the ultimate hope in life. Until you realize what is hopelessness, you never understand what is hope. Can you all understand that? When everything is going our way, we never understand what is hope. We never even think about hope. We just think, everything's going my way. But when you're in the, the more hopeless you are, 
the more when Krishna saves you, you understand there is hope. Therefore, Krishna personally puts his devotee in these situations, if that is what is required. That is the difference between worshipping Krishna and worshipping the devatas. People sometimes say, if I worship the demigods, I can get many, many material benedictions. If I worship Krishna, I don't know what's going to happen. And that is correct. Krishna can give you all material benedictions. Whatever the demigods give you, they're getting it from Krishna. But the difference is this. The demigods simply give you what you ask for if you pay the price of certain tapasya and sacrifice. Krishna doesn't give you what you ask for. He gives you what you require. If you go, and, if you go to a businessman, you pay the money, he'll give you what you want. But will your father give you what you want? Your father will give you what you need. There's a difference between love and business. Krishna is your father. Aham bijapratapita. Yasya hamanagrinami harishyetatanam shanai. If to give a devotee a real conception of hope, if it means taking everything away and turning everyone against him, ha ha ha, I will do it. And that devotee will turn to me and say, Krishna, I surrender. Shri Krishna Sharanamam. Some people chant Shri Krishna Sharanamam, but that's what it really means. I have no refuge except you, my Lord. The Brahman from Avantadesh in the Bhagavatam, it is described that he was in a situation where he was a very wealthy, powerful businessman. And because of his false ego, he abused so many people. So what happened is one fine day, some thieves came and stole everything he had, destroyed his property, took all of his wealth, and he has nothing. From one day to the next, he went from a multi-multi-multi-millionaire to a pauper in the street. And his family members, they looked at him and said, listen, do you know why we married you? Because you were giving us sense enjoyment. Now, no sense enjoyment, no me. Wife left. Children went with the wife. What do they want such a useless man for? He was standing alone, nothing, crying. Do you know how painful this was to his heart? He lived all his life only for this and it was gone. He was simply crying and crying and crying. He didn't know anything else to do except cry. There was no one to turn to. His friends and associates, they spit on him. You're useless. We don't need you anymore. When he, was, when he came to the conclusion that he was 100,000% hopeless, He remembered Krishna, and with such hope in his heart, he turned, Krishna, you are the only hope. And he became self-realized. He became a Paramahamsa in one second. He became blissful, transcendental. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, after he took sannyas, dancing in transcendental ecstasy, he began to chant the prayers of this Brahman from Avantadesh. So, of course, this doesn't mean that this will happen to you. And it doesn't mean this will not happen to you. Have faith. 
Krishna is the provider, the protector. He'll give you what you need. But the goal of life is to become dear to him. After Dhruva Maharaj destroyed all the forces of the Yakshas, practically they were just being, they were being annihilated. The treasurer of the demigods, Kuvera, who was related to the Yakshas, he came down. He said, Dhruva, please, you've done enough. You've already defeated them. Stop. Let, let the rest of them are harmless now. A perverted reflection is when the United Allies were conquering Iraq and the UN said, all right, all right, stop, 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 enough, enough, enough. And they said, no, no, we want to destroy it all. No, enough, they're harmless, leave them. So Kuvera was like the United Nations representative in those days. You've already defeated them. They were wrong, they're defeated, they've, they've, they've withdrawn unconditionally. Now, <coughs> let them live. Tuva said, all right, I will let But he was not doing it for political purposes. He was doing it because he wanted to please Kuvera, who was a great personality. And Kuvera offered him any benediction he wanted. Now, do you know Kuvera's position? He's the treasurer for the, all the heavenly planets. He's in charge of all the wealth in the entire universe. Ah, how would you like to get any wish you wanted from him? What would you ask for? Do you know what Dhruva Maharaj asked for? He said, I have no desires except one. That birth after birth after birth, I could always remember Krishna by being the humble servant of his devotees. That is the only benediction I ask. Mahajano yena gatasapanta. We must take our goals in life. We must follow in the footsteps from such great souls. Dhruva Maharaj knew that the greatest wealth was the opportunity to serve the Lord and his devotees. The greatest wealth was to remember Krishna with a heart full of humility and love. And there's nothing else that has any meaning before that. How to remember Krishna? It is very simple. For the simple, very complicated for the complicated. We must overcome the enemy of our mind by filling it always with the pure sound of Krishna's name. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. Om apavitra pavitro vasarvavastam gatapiva yasmaret pundarikaksham sabayapyantara suchi. Whether one's mind is pure or impure, if it simply fixes itself with attention and devotion on Krishna, 
who is all pure, it becomes purified. By coming to the temple, and through the via medium of our eyes, our mind is fixed on the beautiful, beautiful form of Sri Sri Radha Gopinath, Nithai Goda Chandra, and Sri Gopal. By coming to the temple, or by at home preparing nice prasad, offering it in devotion to the Lord as bhoga, and then taking the remnants. Through the via medium of our tongue, our mind is fixed in Krishna. Through smelling the flowers, the incense that has been offered with devotion to the Lord, through the via medium of our nose, our mind is fixed in yoga and the mercy of Krishna. Every situation in life, if we have this training, we will learn to see the truth underlying that everything is coming by the love and mercy of Krishna. Everything is perfect and complete. By chanting the holy name, by hearing through our ears, with our heart, the mind is in the heart for a devotee. That attentive chanting of Harinam is the means by which we can be fixed in attention in the remembrance of Krishna. By the process of, of properly chanting the holy names of the Lord under the guidance of pure souls, all good qualities awaken with By the process of, of properly chanting the holy names of the Lord under the guidance of pure souls, all good qualities awaken within a man's life. So let us always maintain this simple and sublime goal in everything we do. How can I please you, my Lord? How can I serve you, my Lord? Let that be our question in everything we do, everywhere we go, whoever we are with. It is very simple. It is natural. It is Krishna consciousness. Hare Krishna. Is there any question? Sometimes it is difficult to draw the line whether it is our false ego or our devotional service or it is our envious nature because when Hanumanji went to Lanka he had no instruction from Ram to burn the Lanka but just to teach a lesson to the demon Ravan he at his own intelligence burned the Lanka and so if a devotee according to his own capacity and intelligence just to teach a lesson to the de demon who is coming in the way of the spiritual life, uses the intelligence, where to draw the line, whether it is false ego, it is his 
envious nature or his devotion to service. There's a story at one time Lord Chaitanya and Lord Nityananda sat together and Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu instructed him next year do not come to Bengal I'm sorry stay in Bengal do not come to Jagannath Puri that is what he said. Do not come to Puri, stay in Bengal. And you know what happened? The next year, Lord Nityananda left Bengal and came to Jagannath Puri. Huh. And Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, who was a great Paramahamsa Vaishnava, in this regard he remarked, who can understand the love of Lord Nityananda? And the acharyas, in their purport, they explain that if you are so advanced that you truly know the desire of Gurudev, then you may even break his instructions, knowing what is his innermost desire. But if you are not in such a purified state, where you have no personal ambitions, you must simply obey. So therefore, this spiritual master, he may give us an instruction. But he may tell us to pursue that instruction with our own intelligence. He may not. He may say, I want you to do it like this, 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 exactly. Then you must do it like that. But if he tells you, if he gives you a general instruction, go preach Krishna consciousness all over the world. Huh? Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur told Prabhupada, go preach Krishna consciousness all over the world. He didn't give him any specific details except that. That means you must use all of his intelligence for every, at every moment how to do it. Now the question is, we have to analyze our own motives. Prabhupada was divinely empowered because he had no other motivation in any of his decisions except pleasing his guru. Huh? We must use our intelligence. We must grow up and learn to use our intelligence. But every choice and every decision, we have to very critically analyze. Am I doing this for me, or am I doing this for Krishna? How can I best serve you, Krishna, at this time? If you sincerely and honestly ask, my dear Lord, how can I best serve you now? Then Krishna will reveal through your intelligence the best way to serve him now.
you said in your lecture that Krishna has his plans. Does his plans change? That is for him to decide, not for us. His plans are perfect and complete. His, his plans never change. But to our vision, they may appear to change. His plan is to give us the perfect opportunity to go back home, back to Godhood. He knows everything past, present, and future. He knows exactly what's required. But to our limited vision, it may appear that it's changing at any moment. Huh? The details may change to our senses, but the general purpose never changes. Krishna's plan for creating this entire material creation is just to create an atmosphere where everyone will eventually come back to him and surrender. It's the only plan anywhere in this entire cosmos. Huh? But the details are changing at every moment to our perception. And what does surrender mean? Surrender means you are not attached to one thing or the other, one conception of plan or another simply Krishna, whatever you desire. Huh? Just like Srila Prabhupada used to tell us the story, that in the army, the military sergeant will tell the private, the soldier, dig a hole in the ground. So he digs a hole in the ground. Then the same person comes up to him and says, you fool, why did you dig that hole in the ground? I didn't tell you to do that, bury it. So he buries it. And he comes back and says, why did you bury it? I told you to dig a hole. What kind of a fool? You do what I tell you and then you undo it? Dig that hole. So he digs it. Now, my question is, is he changing his plan or not? What do you, how many say yes? How many say no? Nobody wants to say anything. <laughs> what? No change of plan. No change of plan. Prabhu is correct. From the, from the worldly point of view, yes, he's changing his plan every second. But actually, there's no change of plan. Because the plan is not whether there's a hole or not a hole. The plan is to train this person to be submissive and surrendered. That's the only plan. That plan never changed. But how to pursue that plan? It may mean in practical application so many changes, but there's no change in the theme. Yes, Mahaprabhu.
The darkest moment comes before the dawn. Peace is born from conflict. Did you know that? Unless you are willing to rage war against your own mind and senses, there will be no peace. People think that peace comes from peace. Peace comes from war. We're not talking about physical, material war. Unless you declare war against envy and lust and anger and greed, there will be no peace in your life. Krishna says, for one who has conquered the mind, the mind is the best of friends. What does conquer mean? Conquer means a fight. means there's going to be chaos in the process. So you see, sometimes there's conflict, but ultimately, if we are sincere, that conflict will only bring us closer together on a higher platform. If we are insincere, that conflict will separate us forever. Therefore, we must always consult with senior Vaishnavas. If there is a conflict, it's very easy to mediate. Simply approach a senior Vaishnava and said, who's right, who's wrong, what's best? And accept. Approach the guru. Or approach those persons who the guru trusts. It's very simple. There's no reason for there to be doubt. If we are sincere, we simply ask. If we are not sincere, we don't want to ask because we're both afraid that he may tell us what we do not want to hear. Ah, that is the problem. That is due to insincerity. So we simply inquire submissively and then all doubts are dispelled. And if the spiritual master asks us to use our intelligence, ah, and we are truly motivated to please him and to please Krishna, then Krishna within the heart, by the mercy of Guru, will give us the proper intelligence. Hmm? Yes? Which question did you want to ask? You should stand up and ask very loud so that everyone can hear. Last night, Maharaj gave professional lecture on Maharaj. Particularly, there are two instances he has mentioned. One is Kunti Mataji, which the Karma was born of Kunti. So, this I asked Maharaj that on a layman, it's very difficult to think, to understand. If this would have happened to any Ordinary lady, you know, they would call her prostitute. The second thing. Well, one, one, one at a time. 
What is the question exactly? Make it, in, <laughs> make it into a question. It is difficult to digest that Karan was born on the year of Mother Gundi. It's difficult to digest, Mahaprabhu asks, how Karna was born from the ear of Kunti. Hmm. so difficult to digest. <laughs> After all, what is the position of Surya Dev? What's possible for him is different from what's possible from you. Hmm? We're just speaking very, very common logic. For instance, for an ant, to move a grain of sugar is possible. But to move this Bhagavad Gita, is it possible? The strongest, mightiest, muscular ant in all of Bharat Varsha cannot pick up this Bhagavad Gita. But here I am, a sick old man who's coughing and everything like that, and I'm picking him up with the little finger of my left hand. Huh? Now for the ant, somebody says, do you know this Radhanath Swami, he lifted that Bhagavad Gita with the little finger of his left hand. And the, the atheistic ant will say, impossible, nobody can lift the Bhagavad Gita with the little finger of his left hand. Impossible. Huh? So what you can do and what Suryadev could do is like the difference between you and an, him and you and an ant. These are very, very highly empowered divine beings. For us, mortal humans on this earth planet, when we want to have a child, it's messy business. We don't have to describe the details. From the beginning to the end. Hmm? And it takes a long time, nine months, and then when, when the, finally the birth comes, it's so painful and so disturbing. It's just, and everybody's crying. The woman's screaming. The child is crying. And we're thinking, happy birthday to you. <laughs> it is a happy birthday. No birthday is it. It's happy for the people who have nothing to do with it, but it's not happy for the people who are involved. <laughs> Happy birthday is purely a spectator sport. <laughs> it's not happy for those involved. It's very painful. Afterward, they think back, they forget the miseries, they think, oh, well, now I'm happy, but then I was not happy. When, the mother, when it's done, the mother says, I'll never do this again. Does that sound like she sees in bliss? And the child's going, Aah. It's not happy, it's painful. Birth, old age, disease, and death is too painful in this world. Plus nine months. The woman wants a child. She wants it now. And she's carrying around this creature. It's kicking and doing this. And she's very difficult. She gets all bad moods and everything else. 
God knows what a woman goes through when she goes through this nine months. That's for us little creatures of earth. But for the demigods, they have such tremendous mystic powers. You live maximum 100 years. How old are you? 50 years? Your hairs are gray. You have big, thick glasses. You can still dance nicely. We will. <laughs> But you cannot walk very nicely. <laughs> so in this way, I mean, the demigods, they live trillions of years. Vivaswan lives for the entire duration of the creation, which is several trillions of years. Now, do you think you can do what he could do? The Earth planet, how big is it compared to the sun? Even material scientists say that the sun is millions of times bigger than the Earth. And we cannot even control, we cannot even control our own wife and children. What to speak of control the city of Bombay? What to speak of controlling the country of India or the whole Earth planet? Nobody could do it. We cannot even control our own bowel movements. That is our insignificance. But Surya Dev is controlling the entire sun planet without distraction from the beginning of the end to the end of the creation. Now what is possible for you and what is possible for him? Do you think that they will be the same? For the demigods, when they want to give birth, there's no pregnancy. It takes place within a few minutes. And where they want the child to come out from? Wherever they want. They, are mystic, they have tremendous mystic cities. If Surya Dave wants the sun planet to come out of your ear, it will come out of your ear. What to speak of a baby? Huh? Is that difficult to understand? If you are like an ant, you will not believe that the Bhagavad Gita can be held up. Huh? Therefore, you have to have faith. We have to have faith in the scriptures which are describing levels of consciousness, levels of existence that are incomprehensible to our relative experience. Surya Day was such a mystic that to preserve Kunti's virginity, he had her come out of the ear. And Kunti Devi was just a young she was not doing anything wrong. She was simply surrendering to the will of this most powerful demigod who had a very divine purpose on behalf of the Lord to fulfill by giving this child to her. Second question.
and threatened him saying you are fool, you are refusing to your parents and uh, he could not reply finally he was. So the point Bhagavad Gita is said that Chaturvarna Maya system is one karma vaksa. So the society is divided according to Guna or Karma, not by birth or Sudra. So such elevated soul like Pandavas and they are followers of Bhagavad Gita. They themselves are condemning Bhagavad Gita by insulting karma in this way. In emergency situations, it is not so much what you do, but why you are doing it. Just like in the medical colleges, if a person needs anesthesia, anesthesia means you make them unconscious, right? Do you take your fist and punch him in the face as hard as you can and knock him unconscious? Huh? What happens if you propose to the teacher that this is the best way? What would happen? He would probably punch you in the face and make you unconscious. You would fail all your exams. But what if you're on the battlefield? and there's no anesthesia available and it's an emergency situation and this person's going to die, he needs an operation but it's too painful so he won't let you do it what do you do? the only anesthesia available at that particular time and circumstance is you have to break all the rules of medicine you have to break all the rules of what you've learned previously and you just pick up a pipe and smash him on the head and then you perform the operation Correct? Yes? <laughs> you have never done like this? <laughs> In my profession, we're always doing like this. <laughs> so you see, according to time and circumstance and emergency situations, you do whatever is required to save the day. It is also described that if a thorn is in your foot, a thorn is an unwanted thing. And if you're in the forest, and you're not anywhere next to Dr. Alwa's medical clinic, what do you do? You have to take another thorn. It's an emergency, time and circumstance. The very cause of your distress, that same thing is the cause of your relief. Another thorn will take out the original thorn. So in emergency situations, we have to understand the spirit of our mission and not so much thinking of the letter of the law. Do you all understand? So Arjuna was the dearest friend of Krishna and Bhima was his brother. And Bhima wanted to see Arjuna glorified because he wanted Krishna's mission to be glorified. Now here was Radheya or Karna. Bhima could see by his display of strength that he has the power to defeat Arjuna. 
to humiliate Arjuna, to humiliate his own guru, Dronacharya. Drona showing off the, the, the greatness of his own disciples, and here comes somebody who has nothing to do with Drona, and he's better. If Radheya would have been able to fight in that tournament, he would have humiliated Arjuna, and he would have humiliated his own guru, Drona. But Bhima loved his guru, and he loved his brother, and he loved Krishna. So therefore, by some means or other, he had to stop Radheya from the ability to challenge Arjuna. Now, there was absolutely no other grounds to stop him except this social conditioning of low caste and high caste. Huh? Bhima was above caste. After all, he married Hidimbi, who was a Rakshashi. Talk about marrying within caste. Bhima was very much transcendental to this, right? <laughs> Today in India, people think, oh, you must marry within your caste. That's very good. I, I, we respect this. No problem. But Bhima did not marry within his caste. He married a Hidimbi. She was not a Brahmin, a Chatriya, Vaishya, or a Suja. She was a blood-sucking, man-eating Rakshashi. Huh? But she became a pure devotee by the grace of Krishna and by the association of Bhima. Huh? So obviously he was not conscious of caste by birth. Krishna says that caste is by quality, not by birth. As, corner, as far as the, the ashrams and the varnas are concerned. But, if this is the social convention, and by using this social convention, an emergency situation, to stop the humiliation of my guru, to stop the humiliation of Krishna's dearmost devotee, I'll use anything. And that was the only means he could to stop it, and it worked. After all, the scriptures also say not to lie. But Krishna told Yudhisthir to lie. Because if Yudhisthir didn't lie in that emergency situation, Dronacharya would have killed them all. So sometimes in emergencies, we have to break the laws in the spirit of fulfilling a higher law. Sāravadharmanparityajā, huh? abandon all varieties of religion, ultimately just surrender to me. Not everyone can do that. First you must learn how to be an obedient servant. And when you have advanced realizations under the directions of Guru and Krishna, then you could do that. Hmm? According to the tradition, sannyasis never perform marriage ceremonies. When Prabhupada came to the West, he had boys and girls who needed to get married. Who was going to do it? He did it. 
The Acharya knows according to time and circumstance what is necessary. But after he had disciples who were trained, he never did it anymore. Huh? So therefore, Acharya Pashunam, we must understand the scripture from the Acharya. We must understand how to act in our life according to the Acharya. We should do nothing without the blessings of senior Vaishnavas. Then we are always on the safe and straight path back home, back to God. supposed to leave tonight, but I have no confirmation of ticket as of yet, but I will probably leave within the next day.